what a hope we have. Hope of being with our Savior. And so thank you, worship team, for leading us in that. I appreciate that. Today we're beginning a new series, a significant one, called The Indwelling Spirit. We're going to be studying the work, the person of the Holy Spirit. This is a timely study for us here at Elam. We've had some challenges, quite a few, these months. A lot of concerns around certain teachings that are all around us and sweeping through not only America, but parts of the world. It's been difficult for us as a church to know exactly how to handle these things. It's been a challenge. I believe the New Testament model, and it's our model, is that the churches that heal and grow, they do so together. They do so around the Word of God. We're going to go through this study, and we're going to hit a lot of these questions that have been concerned about. And a lot of them tie into the Holy Spirit, His role in the church, His role in individual lives, His role in our ministry, and what He's doing today. And we're going to sit down around the Scriptures together and study them. We're not going to sit around the Internet. We're going to sit around the Scriptures together. That's the way the church does it. And to do that, it's going to be quite a challenge for all of us because we all have experiences, some good, some not so good, that kind of make it difficult for us to look at this teaching on the Holy Spirit. It, it can be challenging. We've all, we're all at different places in our Christian walk. Some have had very little teaching about the Holy Spirit. Many of you have been Christians for many, many years, and, and you've had chances to read and learn and grow. And that's great. That's the makeup of the church. We have different levels of maturity. Thank God for that. We can encourage and sharpen one another. That's a good thing. So here's what I believe God's Spirit is asking you and me to commit to these next few months. There's a verse in 2 Peter 3.18 which provides the challenge. Peter, after two letters to these churches, who are facing difficult times. Here's how he concludes the second letter. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Two things I'm asking you to commit to. Double dog dare you. To commit to grow in grace. It's not just knowledge and it's not just grace. Growing grace and knowledge. What is grace? Grace is looking around at your brothers and sisters saying, you're not at the same place I am. Yes, you've had different experiences, so have I. You haven't been exposed to the same things I have. And we look around our brothers and sisters and say, I don't have it all together either. Can you say that, I don't have it all together? Okay, good. We're on the same playing field then, good. But we can look at each other and with grace. See, let's learn together. Let's do this together. Let's learn together. And we can sharpen each other that way. The second commitment is to grow in knowledge. How do we do that? That's a tough one, I think. It's, e- it's easier said than done. Here's how I'd like to propose we do this. Jay, our wonderful worship leader, who I just love and appreciate so much, she, some of the things Jay does um, are behind the scenes. Like if there's a wedding, Jay's here and he's taking down this whole thing and 
he's kind of clearing the deck for the wedding. And he's clearing the stage of all these different things. And, and here's what I believe God would have you and I do, is to clear the stage of all our experiences, everything we've read, and begin to relay a foundation on a doctrine of the Holy Spirit together. Brick by brick, together. And so, and that's, that's difficult, I get it. Um, I remember growing up, I, I, I was faced with a lot of different things. As a, I wasn't a Christian growing up. I was raised in a church that was, I guess, very, very liturgical, might be a, a way to put it. Um, and that was, that was a challenge. And so it will be a challenge at times. And so we're going to talk about a lot of extreme experiences out there. There's some wacky stuff. I'm sorry, there is. We'll also look at some of the challenges of because of that, how do we respond to that? And sometimes we pull so far back. You know what I'm talking about? This, is a, this subject of the Holy Spirit is a real challenge. And here's one of the main reasons. I was at a conference not long ago, and they had a huge bookstore. I want a massive room, bigger than this, full of books. And I'd begin studying on this. So I was looking for some resources on the Holy Spirit. Not one. In the whole room, I could not find it. I looked. For something on the Holy Spirit, there was nothing. And what happens when there's a lack of teaching? It gets filled in with all kinds of stuff. Together, we're going to wade through the stuff and find out what the scriptures teach. And uh, you know as well as I do that the only way you and I learn truth is by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is what we're studying, because he's the one who guides us into truth. And so it's only appropriate that we begin not only this whole study, but each of our messages, um, asking God's Spirit to teach us. So would you join me? Lord, we as a church desperately need you. We need you to teach us truth. We need you, God, to clear the stage of all the things that have really made it difficult for us to get a solid handle on your ministry of your spirit. We want so much. We know it's the key to victory, God. We know it's the key to relational strength. We know it's the key to our church having an impact in our community is the work of your spirit. And so please give us eyes to see, ears to hear what it is you have for us. So that brick by brick, together as your people, we learn more about you and your way and your work among us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So why such confusion? As you and I start to rebuild here, why is there such confusion? I've mentioned a couple. One, lack of biblical teaching. Poor experiences in the name of the Holy Spirit. I've had a few of those. Those are weird. I mean, you don't know what to do with them sometimes. And sometimes the response to that is we put the Holy Spirit in a box because we're a little afraid what happens if we let them out. <laughs> that type of thing. Um, as I said, I grew up in a church where, um, and I, I'm just laying it out the way I grew up, and so forgive me for my although horrible mind, I guess, but I remember saying in, in some creeds and some stuff the whole, about this Holy Ghost. Now, for an unsaved kid, a ghost is not an attractive thought for me. Now you're slapping holy on it, 
I don't know what to do with that. What do you do with a holy, and I'm thinking Casper, I was raised on Casper, the friendly ghost. What do you do with a, with a holy Casper, a holy ghost? What do you do with that? Well, I know what I did. I wanted to run. I don't want nothing to do with the Holy Ghost. Then when I became a Christian, I was told that there were places I could go where the Holy Spirit fell. What do you do with that? I mean, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, in my mind, I'm a new Christian. I don't know what that means. I wasn't even sure who the Holy Spirit was. Yeah, I'm still learning all that. Now all of a sudden I told he's fell. Didn't get it. I didn't know what was going on. Now, was I a bad person? No, I just didn't know. And so there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of factors to it. And so we need to make sure that we approach this um, in a good, solid, biblical way. I read a good quote from James McDonald this week. He says, excess locks us into a Christianity void of power. What's he saying? Great confusion is there. Oftentimes, one of the contributing factors is excess. And so confusion, misunderstanding, outright error results, and it's manifested in two extremes, deadness and emotionalism. And so we face it on all extremes, but we want to come to the scriptures together and learn, so let's do this. There's some foundational truths about God that Jerry went over actually in the doctrine class, and you haven't been able to jump in, please do. That starts again next Sunday night. Um, but one of the, a couple of the things that are foundational truths about God is, one, God is three persons. We know that through Scripture. You have some Scripture there. I just want to lay this out. Each person is fully God. So you have God in three persons. Each person is fully God. And then the third is there's one God. It's the doctrine of what theologians have called over the years the Trinity. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There's one God. Many have tried examples, eggs, pretzels, all kinds of examples, put the examples away because they only steal the wonder of who God is. There's no example that can contain him. So we just stand in awe of who the triune God is. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, there's a Trinitarian call to ministry. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a doxological formula in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so the foundational truth about God is Trinity. There's a triune God. In light of that, there's the focus we begin is on the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at a plethora of scripture. Okay, there is a lot of scripture here. We're not going to look at every one. We would never be gone for a while. Okay, and so those are there. Hopefully, you'll have time to study them. And uh, admittedly, there's, there's one verse out of surrounding verses in context. And so that factors into this. But the main thing I want to get across is each of these verses highlights something about the Holy Spirit, which is what we're learning right now, specifically this morning. Isaiah 40 13. Isaiah says, who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or, as his counselor has informed him. It's a rhetorical question, Isaiah asks. No one's directed the spirit of the Lord. No one's come up to the Holy Spirit and said, hey, did you know? Or, Holy Spirit, you kind of got that one wrong. No one. Because there's 
throughout the whole Old Testament, the spirit was divine, was never in question. It wasn't a discussion, it wasn't open. This, that the Holy Spirit was divine was from the very first verse, actually, in the Genesis on. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So we have Old Testament Isaiah, New Testament Paul, and they all point to the deity of the Holy Spirit. We're told in Scripture many times of divine attributes. In the early church, in Acts chapter 5, we read about, read about a brother who sold his property at the end of chapter 4. He took his property, sold it, brought all the proceeds from it, laid it at the apostles' feet so that they could help people in need. Great sacrificial gift. There's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they're like, that's a great idea. And this other person who did it's getting some props. So if we do this, and we sell our property, and we give it all to the poor, it'll look good. One problem is they lied about it. They kept back some, said, hey, we'll give it all. But they were caught in their lie, and this is what we read in Acts 5, 3 through 4. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it sold, was it not under your control? Why is it you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Peter's mind, to lie to God was to lie to the Holy Spirit. To lie to the Holy Spirit was to lie to God because of the deity of the Holy Spirit. Now, each deserved equal reverence. Each deserved equal respect. Apparently, God thought so also. For both lost their lives as a result of their deceit. And so the attribute of deity is given to the Holy Spirit. Now we read in Hebrews 9.14, we learn another attribute of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9.14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so we're told that the spirit this Holy Spirit is eternal. That's an attribute only God has. Eternal. There was never a time the Holy Spirit was not. He's eternal. We read in Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Go anywhere, at any time, and the Holy Spirit's been there. You're going to get up tomorrow morning, might walk into the wall because you're not awake. You ever have that happen? Um, looking for that coffee pot, right? And uh, the Holy Spirit will be there. Matter of fact, he was there before you even got there. Tomorrow night, when you go to bed, Holy Spirit's there. No matter where you go, no matter when you go there, the Holy Spirit's been there. The long word for it is he's omnipresent. He's present everywhere at all times. That's an attribute that belongs to God alone. And the Holy Spirit is God. Thus, he's omnipresent. We know in 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 13, he's omniscient. He knows all. Here's what Corinthians says. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. 
Now we've received not the spirit of the world, get a load of this, Christian, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. No one knows the thoughts of God, Paul says, except the Spirit of God. It's an attribute of deity, omniscience. And so as we go through the scriptures, we find these attributes ascribed to the Holy Spirit that only can be ascribed to God, which reinforces the teaching the Holy Spirit is God. We also learn much about the divine work of the Holy Spirit that points to his deity. He creates, he's active in creation, Genesis 1-2. The Holy Spirit was present He's active. Matter of fact, in verse 1, the use of God is used in the plural form to symbolize the one God, three persons, and the Holy Spirit is active throughout, we read about in creation. And the author of Genesis refers to God and the Spirit of God without making any distinction between the two because none was needed. In Job chapter 33, 4, one of Job's friends who is giving him some counsel while he's going through all he is, admits something, and he's right about this. Job 33, 4, Elihu says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. You see that? Spirit of God has made me. Who's the creator? The Spirit of God. Who gave me breath? The Almighty. I.e., Holy Spirit equals Almighty. <laughs> and so we're back once again to this divine element of the Holy Spirit. He is God. He creates. We're told in 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You see, the Holy Spirit inspired Bible writers. All Scripture is God-breathed, and that God-breathed Scripture came about by the involvement of the Holy Spirit of God. You and I sit here with a copy of the Scriptures, and we thank the Holy Spirit for them. You realize without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have the Word of God. We kind of forget that. The Holy Spirit is God. He inspired the Bible writers. He regenerates, Titus 3, 5. He, referring to Jesus, saved us not because of any works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Another translation says, by regeneration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit imparts spiritual life. The Holy Spirit imparts new life. The phrase being born again happens because of the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. He gives new birth. Once again, the work of the Holy Spirit speaks to his deity. We're told the Holy Spirit sanctifies. He helps us become more like Jesus. The work of God in making us more like Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I cannot grow spiritually without the Holy Spirit. So don't even try. Those times in my life, I look back and think of those times. You ever been at points spiritually where you feel like, God, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels? You ever been there? Anybody or is it just me? You feel like, man, it's just like I'm here and it's a year later and I don't feel like I've almost gone backwards. And it's those times that I've learned that I need to stop and say, Am I really relying on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's not going to lead me in a rut? That I know. He's going to help me grow spiritually. And it's those times I realize either I've, I've sunk into that place of, of, of kind of trying to do it on my own 
or been distracted or other things. But it brought me back to the reality of the Holy Spirit in my life. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 1, 2. He refers to the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he sanctifies. It's that divine work that points to his deity. Now, if I was to ask you who raised Jesus from the dead, you'd say, well, he rose from the dead. And maybe you remember a verse where the Father, it says God raised him from the dead. Well, get a load of Romans 8, 11, where we're told Jesus was raised by the Spirit. It's the work of the triune God again. The Holy Spirit was involved in resurrection. That's, that's divine work. Once again, it speaks to the deity of the Holy Spirit. We know 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, that the Holy Spirit distributes gifts. He is the source of spiritual gifts. And instead, instead of us trying to lay claim to what gifts we want when we want it, it says the Holy Spirit distributes them as he wills. It's not us trying to grab a hold of that one, that one, or that one. It's not someone telling us we should have that one, that one, that one. It's the Holy Spirit who wills this. Why? Because he's divine. He's deity. Scriptures speak to that. We're told in Matthew 12, 28, in Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit was involved in the working of miracles, specifically in this case, the casting out of demons. All the works of the Holy Spirit bear the marks of deity. The work of the Holy Spirit is always to point to Jesus Christ. Always. And we're going to learn a lot more about that. It's that crucial. Be clear. We need to be clear. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a power. He's not some mystical spirit out there, void of personality. The Bible doesn't allow us to go there. The Holy Spirit is deity. We also know it because of his divine names. Divine names that are ascribed to the Holy Spirit that could only be ascribed to God. Genesis 1-2, he's called the Spirit of God. Judges 3-10, Caleb had a brother called Othniel. He was uh, uh, chosen to be a judge, and what was described about Othniel is that he had the Spirit of Yahweh in him. And so he's referred to the Holy Spirit, it's called the Spirit of Yahweh. Isaiah 63-10, he's the Holy Spirit. Romans 8-9, he's called the Spirit of Christ. Hebrews 9.14, he's called the eternal spirit. 1 Peter 4.4, 4, he's called the spirit of glory. John 14.17, the spirit of truth. Hebrews 10.29, the spirit of grace. These divine names ascribed to the Holy Spirit speak to his deity. When we lay this first brick on this foundation... We lay it with the understanding this foundational truth is the Holy Spirit is God. We must start there. If we get this wrong, we're going to go in all, all places of error. And so let's make sure we get it right. I came across this quote by John MacArthur I thought was excellent because I think he kind of he grapples with this idea of the Holy Spirit and the significance of what happens when we get it wrong. He says, wherever the Holy Spirit is, there's humility. Wherever you see the exaltation of a man, that's not the work of the Holy Spirit. When you look at a movement that claims to be evangelical and you can see the exploitation, the exaltation of men, that is not the work of the Holy Spirit. Where there is the work of the Holy Spirit, there's the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And, and I like this, everybody else fades. Of all the ages in the history of the church, this is the one most capable of feeding pride. Why? 
because there are so many ways to stick yourself in front of people's faces across the planet. This is an easy time for proud people to make most of themselves. There just doesn't seem to be interest in the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think he's right. I mean, we got, obviously, we got social media and all that, and so there's so many ways, temptations for man to exalt man. That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will always seek to honor Jesus Christ and to lift him up. The Holy Spirit's not an impersonal force. He's not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an influence. Holy Spirit's not some kind of energy emanating from God. The Holy Spirit is God, a member of the Trinity, a person completely the essence of God with an entity and a personality of his own, and Scripture's clear about this. We've looked at just some of them. He's equal in nature and attributes. And I want to make sure, I want to say it again. He's equal in nature and attributes to the Father and the Son. He is not diminished in any sense. He is fully God in the same way the Father and the Son are. He has personality. And while sometimes people refer to it, the Holy Spirit, that's inaccurate. He possesses intellect, emotion, and will. And evidences of that in the scripture are ample everywhere. We see it in his personal actions. He's searching. We're told in 1 Corinthians 2.12, the Holy Spirit searches. Acts 15.28, we read this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Did you pick it up? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. There was a judgment taking place, a discernment, if I may, that the Holy Spirit made. We're told that he hears. John 16, 13. We read this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own initiative. Whatever he hears, he will speak. And so we have a personal action of the Holy Spirit in hearing. Acts 13, 2, he speaks. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. We're going to talk a lot more about how the Holy Spirit speaks, but just get it right away. His personal action is one of speaking. We talked in 1 Corinthians 12. His action is one of distributing. John 14, 26, another personal action. Is this me? Why don't you put this on? Thank you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Did you get the helper, the Holy Spirit? He will teach you all things. And so one of the personal actions of the Holy Spirit is he teaches. Romans 8, 26 through 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't that both a fascinating verse and an encouraging one? You ever gone to prayer and you're like, I'm not quite sure how to pray for this one. This seems pretty complex or... Uh, I don't know if I can pray this big. Or, and so we're left not sure what to do. Be believe me, the Holy Spirit's never at that place. And he intercedes for you, Christian. Right where you're at, in your circumstances, he intercedes for you. 
on the will of God. How great is that when we can come before God and pray, and as incomplete as those prayers might be, they're, they're married to the prayers of the Holy Spirit who prays according perfectly to the will of God. And that's why prayer matters. Because the Holy Spirit's involved in that. And he prays, intercedes. He witnesses, John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You see, the divine action, his personal action of the Holy Spirit, is he's witnessing. In closing, I thought of A.W. Tozer's words. He says, I don't want the world to define God for me. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal God to me. Isn't that good? I read it again because I, I hope that's our prayer. I don't want the world to define God for me. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal God to me. And as a person, the Holy Spirit can be thanked. He can be trusted. He can be followed. He can be depended upon. Many people have asked me over the years, can I pray to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's God, absolutely. But to, to pray to him, to follow him, to trust him, to depend upon him, you need to know him. And we know God in relationship only through coming into a relationship through the work of Jesus Christ. And so any talk about the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, you need to back up the truck and ask first, do I know Jesus Christ as my Savior? Have I transferred the trust of trying to do it my way to the, his perfect work on the cross? We need to start there because that's where it starts. And as a believer, as you, we come to faith in Christ, we have the promise the Holy Spirit dwells us and dwells and he invites us to come closer. And as you and I conclude and talk and kind of close in prayer here, let's face it, many of us simply don't understand the Holy Spirit. And if you're, we are honest, we kind of feel awkward relating to him. We don't know how to feel and sometimes how to act in relation to him. Maybe the bizarre behavior, we've kind of treated the Holy Spirit as an uninvited guest. Maybe we've kept him at arm length with kind of a stiff posture and spirit. Maybe we've nicely boxed him in in our mindsets. And so we back away instead of draw near. God wants you and I to move beyond the fears, beyond the resistance, and to know the joy of the Holy Spirit as he draws us closer to God. Because the Holy Spirit's not to be feared, but welcomed and worshipped. He's not to be resisted, but to be surrendered to. He's not to be boxed in, but for us to follow into a surprising adventure of following the Holy Spirit, who is God. Let's pray. Lord, I look out at precious people this morning who I love deeply. And while it's a challenge, it's also a great joy that we journey together through this life. And we do hit times like now where it's not easy, but God, what I'm so grateful for as that to reorient ourselves, we can come together and sit under your word. And we praise you, your word is truth. And we thank you that that truth sanctifies us as your Holy Spirit comes and takes that truth and changes us. Lord, it was our prayer at the beginning, and it's our prayer as we end.
this message. By your spirit, help us to grow in grace, in the way we relate to each other, and in knowledge, in learning of what your spirit has for us. And Lord, we know that as we grow in that way, some incredible things happen. You are pleased, first and foremost. We grow together. And Lord, we impact those around us for the gospel. And so have your way in our lives and in our church, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.